The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We are starting a new series today, and um, remember, we were working on uh, some questions that we are asking ourselves when it comes to disciple-making. The first one was, am I fervently pursuing God? And we talked about three different ways that you can do that, prayer, fasting, and diving into the Word yourself and feeding yourself. Um, So we've had those conversations, and there are plenty more. There are probably a dozen, two dozen different disciplines you can do to help you get to the place where you're ready to fervently pursue God. Um, But we are moving on now to the second question, and the second question is, am I invested completely? Am I invested completely? And let's just talk for a moment about what it means to have an investment in something. Um, The easiest uh, illustration is a, a financial investment. When you invest in something, There are some things that you know. The first one is it's usually something that you believe in, at least a little bit. You either believe in it yourself or someone has told you it's worth believing in, and so you are willing to make the investment. The second thing is you expect benefit from it. You expect something good to come out of you making that investment. And the third thing is you know there's some risk involved. You know that there is a chance when you make this investment um, that your investment may not go exactly as you planned but you believe in it enough to go ahead and make that investment. Well, when we're investing in God, the great thing is we know we're investing in a safe bet. You know, it's like, it's like uh, putting money down on a horse race and there's only one horse. And all he's got to do is finish. It doesn't even matter how long it takes him. He can walk if he wants to and walk backwards if he wants to. As long as he finishes, you win. Um, so the good thing is there's little risk in that part of it. But when we're investing in the mission of Christ, there is some risk because it may cost us some things as we go. It may be that we are going to struggle in some relationships or some environments because we believe something that the people that we are dealing with don't. And so it may still cost us something. And so we have to decide, is this investment worth that risk? Um, And so we're not asking you to ask the question, is God worth the risk? What we're asking you is to recognize that God's mission requires risk. And so when we say we're going to invest completely, what we're saying is we're going all in even if we lose everything. And if you remember, Jesus said, if you, anyone who wants to uh, find his life must lose it, right? We, we know that it's going to take risk in order for us to accomplish what God has blessed us with. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some different things that we can do as we invest completely that give us the best opportunity to make the most of that investment. And so it comes in four, four waves. The first one is to engage. The next one is to give. The next one is to grow. And the last one is to share. Engage, give, grow, share. 
And so we're going to do little mini-series inside of this on each of those things. But it could all be called stewardship. Stewardship is God's word for investing. And so stewardship is more than just how much money do I give the church. Stewardship is do I believe that God owns my life? And am I willing to give all of that to him to do with it as he will? Does that make sense? So that's the question we're asking today. And we want you to have uh, a considered question to go along with that. And so am I invested completely? And the question that I want to consider right now for a few seconds before Carrie starts us on the uh, reference for today is <clears throat> do we gather to give or to get? Do we gather as a church to give or to get? Okay, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 19 through 25. Now, Hebrews was written for the Hebrew Christians, right? And so probably second generation Hebrew Christians who may have been considering returning back to Judaism or they could have been, uh, this could have been written due to the rising persecution of Christians at the time. We're not really sure. Um, but Hebrews begins, the first part of Hebrews, the book begins with talking about the old way, which is Judaism, right? And comparing it to the new way, which is Jesus. And basically talking about how Jesus is superior to everything else, okay? And then the second half of the book of Hebrews moves into practical ways to live out your Christianity. And so one of the things, one of those practical ways that we're going to talk about today is why we gather together, okay? So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Y'all there? All right. So starting in verse 19, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, and that word boldly could also be confidence, enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. So this most holy place that, that, he's, that the author is talking about here is the Jews, for those of you who are new believers, back in the Old Testament, the Jews had their temple, and that was their holy place, okay? And it was sealed, the, 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 the temple was sealed by a curtain, and only the high priest could go into or go past that curtain. And one time a year, the Jewish people on what they called the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring a sacrifice into or past that, that curtain. And he was the only one that was allowed to go in there. Into the most holy into place. Into the most holy That's place. Right. And he would bring that <clears throat> sacrifice. And that sacrifice then would cover the whole nation of Israel. And it would atone them of their sins for the year. And it was so serious that they would tie a rope around the priest's ankle with bells on it with bells on it and if he went in and he was not as holy and as righteous as he should have been and he killed over and died in there they'd pull the cord the bells would ring and they'd pull him out <laughs> so it was pretty serious you know but that was that was the way that they would their day of atonement that's how they would meet that and what this passage is saying is basically um, 
Now we don't need that. Jesus has become the sacrifice. So we no longer need, he's become the high priest that goes before God, right? And says, forgive them of all of their sins. We don't need any other sacrifices. He is the sacrifice. Yeah, if you look at the beginning of chapter 10, it's talking about how Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. So he is the sacrifice and he is the high priest. But the reason he can be both is because once he was sacrificed, he rose from the grave, proving his divinity, but also set himself in a place as high priest. And the old, uh, uh, the old high priests would take the blood of uh, sacrifice and they would sprinkle it on uh, the, the altar, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, where uh, God's glory, God's Shekinah glory would show. So it's like the presence of God. You could see the manifest presence of God right there. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus then died and rose again, if you remember in, um, in the scripture, it tells us that the curtain that we're talking about split from the top to the bottom. And it was a way for God to show, first of all, you could maybe have somebody at the bottom and find a way to cut it and split it from the bottom to the top. But splitting from the top to the bottom, that had to be something supernatural that was happening. And God was showing in that to say, his glory is now not caught in a geographical place. It's now available everywhere. And now we know that that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Right. Now we are his temple instead Mm -hmm. of the temple being someplace we go to. Mm -hmm. So you'll see starting in verse 20, by his death, which the Greek there is through his flesh, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So basically we now have, because of Jesus, the right to come into God's presence. We don't need bells around our ankles, and we don't need ropes to pull us out. Right? Thank you, Jesus. That's right. So we're able to go before God in full confidence, right? Because we know what Jesus did for us, and we know that he welcomes us gladly into his presence. And that's one of the beautiful gifts that Jesus has given us is that we can come to him, and we don't have to to worry about those bells, right? (laughs) So Jesus, it makes a way for us to draw near to God without having to go through all of the ritualistic things that the Jews had to go through. That means that we can literally, right this second, be in the presence of God and have access to Jesus. So now there's no need to be sprinkling uh, blood on something. It's Christ's blood that covers everything and we just trust in that and that's what gives us that, that opportunity. Right, so those privileges that we have in that new life in Christ, right? Jesus opens the way to draw near to God. And then also gathering together helps us to hold fast to our faith. Mm. And that's all part of what he's saying here. And then also too, God's faithfulness is in that. And we can see that as well um, as we go on and talk about this. So then we'll, are we ready to go on to 23? Mm -hmm. So then in 23, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise, or in other words, be faithful. And one of the passages that we were going to put up on the screen was from Isaiah 30:18, And I love what this says about God's faithfulness. 
So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. And I love that, you know, we've always talked about how God is a gentleman, right? He's not going to push himself on you. He's not going to force himself upon your life. He's waiting for you to come to him. And the moment that you say yes to Jesus and the moment you say yes to him being a part of your life, then he is faithful. And that's the beautiful part of that. And I think God waits kind of the same way we wait for Christmas morning when we're kids. He's so excited to get to see, you know, he's got, he's going to, he's waiting, but he's right there in that moment. I think of the story of the prodigal son and the, the prodigal son, uh, you know, takes his father's inheritance and goes and wastes it. And he ends up serving in such a place that he's, he, his job is feeding the pigs and he doesn't even get the food the pigs get. And he finally comes to his senses and says, I'm going to go back and tell my dad, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, but I'll be your servant. And then in the story, Jesus is telling, the man starts to come into the town. And you have to understand, if a son did something like that and he came through the town, everyone would be jeering at him, everyone would be complaining about him, everyone would be accusing him. He, you know, there's no telling what kind of abuse he would have gotten from the town as he's coming through. But as he starts to make it, the, the father is at the top of the hill waiting and watching. Cannot wait until his son comes back. And as soon as he sees him, he runs to him instead of waiting for him to get all the way there. And that's how God waits for us. He's not waiting for us like, can't believe you did all that. I'm going to wait until you come back to me before I love you. He is waiting with bated breath for you to turn to him because he cannot wait to bless you. So then we begin, we go and then transition and talk in verse 24 as to why we then gather together. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And what are some reasons why we gather? You guys can answer this. Why? Why do we get together? Why are we here right now? Mm-hmm. Yep, to praise and worship God, to learn from Him. Those are both. Yes. There's some there's some value to that, isn't there? To be around people who believe similar things. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. I love that concept. Um, the Bible talks about stirring ourselves up to love and good works um, because that is how it gets like it's one thing for me to decide to serve the homeless but if I have four or five people working together to create something that will help someone who's struggling with their with without a home man there's just we just start feeding off of each other coming up with ideas I think of the block party we're doing this Saturday and I think of how we um, each one of us has a little bit of an idea of how that might work but when we put it all together, we're stirring each other up and we're getting excited about it. We should do the same thing, not just for good works, like social justice kind of things, important things to help people, but we should also do the same thing for loving people. Um, so when we find someone that comes into our presence that's hard to love, we have to all work together to stir each other up to love that person, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
You got something else to add? You got you got a confession to make, brother? <laughs> I know I'm hard to love. <laughs> Tracy's like, what's he gonna what's say? He doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Yeah, Z, you gotta help me love Derek. All right, all right. Yeah, and I I love the way I also like the word motivate there. I really like that word that, that the NLT uses, motivate one another to acts of love and good works, because, you know, sometimes it just, you just get tired, you know? And uh, we were talking about Patsy and Steve, you know, taking their, their honeymoon, and we were praying for, during those, those two weeks of restore, restoration and, and relaxation, and sometimes you just need that, right? And... Um, I think sometimes just coming here and us all gathering together, we're getting our jar filled, right? That we're getting, we, we love on each other. And there's some weeks we come in and we're like, we're the one motivating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there, and we're pouring out, right? And then other times we're coming in and we're the ones that need our jar filled, that's right. you know? And so that's why it's just so important. And I think, you know, especially during the pandemic, it was easy to get out of the practice of gathering together. It was easy to do that. I, I know there were weeks when I was, I was, I'll be honest, I was like, oh, we don't have to, we don't have to pour into anybody today. I mean, I'm just being real. <laughs> right. 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 I don't have to pour into anybody today. I can just flip on the TV and get poured into. And that's great for a while. And there are seasons when that's really, really important where you need to have your jar refilled, but we're not meant to just sit there and let the water overflow and not pour into somebody, another person's jar, right? And so, I mean, obviously there's reasons. Some people can't leave their homes. You know, some people are are shut-ins and they can't leave. And thank God for the technology that we have that they can, you know, get online and still worship with their brothers and sisters. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think, though, that if you're able to get out and gather together at least one time a week, I think it's really important to do that because you do get more out of it. And there's something special. The Holy Spirit moves in a special way when you're with a group of people. It just joins you together in such a a great way. And then it also creates that sense of community and that sense of family and... um, you know, I know for we've already had some people that have come in here already that what are what I call church hurt, right? They've had church trauma in their lives where they've had a church family at one point that hurt them in some form or fashion because let's be real, we love our families, but not all of our families are always that great. And there's always going to be issues because we're people and people are messy and families are messy. Um, but I hope that when they step foot in here that we fill their jar, even if it's just a little drop at a time, where they can get a sense of another kind of family, a family that loves them and accepts them for who they are, no matter what. Um, and if that means they come for a while and get their jar refilled and then eventually start emptying to others, that's great. Um, but that's why it's important for us to gather together. It's, it's really, really important. Yeah, we we started off by asking you a trick question. We asked, um, do we gather to give or to get? And the answer is yes. Yes, that's right. The answer is we come to give and to get. And that's that's difficult for us uh, 
because we don't we don't recognize it as how how important giving is but sometimes we it's we almost never give by getting but we almost always get by giving does that make sense so when we come in here and we are always if we're always predisposed to get then we are missing out on a big part of what we can get if we were willing to give that's why uh, Jesus says it's better to give than to receive um, and we pop psychology is caught up with that and, and one of the things they will tell you is one of the best ways to get out of a depressed state is to help someone else um, and that's that's very true um, but that all there are also times when you just don't have it and so if you're always trying to come to give but there's one Sunday where you have to come to get then you're gonna get it like in overflow because everyone is so used to one way of you coming in that when you come in and you really need to get it's going to be immediately noticeable and that's a little scary because you you know that means that you got to be vulnerable enough to admit I, I'm coming and I, I need I need you to pour into me I need you to love on me right now I need this um, but but if we're creating the right family this is the place you can do that. Mm -hmm. This is where you can be vulnerable enough to say, I need, I need to get today. I don't have a whole lot to give. I need to get today. And then if everybody else is used to doing the same thing you are and they're coming to give, that means you're going to get what you need and then some as you come together. And that's, that's our hope for this family. We, we know that there are places that are like this and we want to be one of those places. We also know there are places that are not like this. Right. And that um, there are people out there who are looking for this. And some people who are staying home and staying out of it is partly because they can still get and they don't have to worry about being burned for it. And they, can, they don't have to worry about giving and having somebody take advantage of them. But you remember, I said every investment has a risk. And this is part of the risk, is that when you gather with the people that you're with, that you love them enough to take the risk to be on mission with them and not just on mission on your own. Right. And what, we'll find, what you find is there's always somebody in the crowd who knows a little more than you that you can learn from, and there's always somebody in the crowd you, who knows a little less than you that you can teach. There's always somebody who's in a better state than you are, and there's always somebody that's in a worse state than you are. And what you start recognizing is this is a human experience, not just my experience. It's a human experience. And what we all need in that is a God experience. Mm -hmm. And how do we allow that God experience to affect our human experience? So the truth is we come to get, give and to get as we worship together. We get confidence as we, as we share with each other. <clears throat> we get comfort whenever it's needed. Um, we inspire each other to do the kinds of things that God wants us to do. But we also hold each other accountable and make sure that we're on the right path together. Right. Right? You know, Michael and I have had twice we've had church hurt. We've had a church who's either hurt us or hurt our family. Yeah. And so if anybody in the room can testify to being in a group of a body of believers and being hurt in some form or fashion, it's us. And we could have walked away very easily from the church. When we say the church, we mean the big C. Yes. All the churches, right? Um, not just the church that we were in. And we could have walked away from that very easily. Um, 
but we we knew through the grace of God he reminded us of this passage that it's important that we still find a group of people that we can connect with that we can learn from and that we weren't supposed to do our Christianity our faith alone um, and so if you have more questions about that come to us but I just especially for our listeners mm-hmm. on the podcast and on the radio station I just want you to know that if you've been hurt by a group of believers we hear you and we understand but we also know it's important that to, to find, find another group find another place where you can grow mm-hmm. and learn together and we often so. say you were not hurt by the church you probably weren't even hurt by a church you were hurt by some people in a church and so don't cast that experience toward God or toward the church itself, but just recognize that we're all still working toward that perfection that God calls us to. And some people have further to go than others. And you ran into a few of them, and that's okay. Um, So just recognize that. Um, Okay. So Carrie has a great illustration. I have an illustration for you. It's called Rent a Mom. And I thought it was perfect for Mother's Day today, but also goes along with what we're talking about. So... Mother knows best, right? Well, that's what Nina Keenly, a 63-year-old mom of two from Brooklyn, New York, believes. Convinced that you sometimes just need the advice of a mom, she had started a new online business in 2015 for those times, as her site puts it, quote, when you need a mom, just not your mom, unquote. (laughs) She calls her site, need a mom. And as ABC reports, she paid for a sponsored post last week in the, in the Brooklyn Daily and has been bombarded with inquiries ever since. She says her target customers are young adult professionals, many of whom do, do have loving mothers and fathers, but feel they may not necessarily understand their children's unique concerns or circumstances. One woman said simply, simply wants Keenly to sit with her while she cleans out her closet and offer, quote, non-judgmental advice on what to keep and what to toss. She says, my mother would just die if she knew, the potential client wrote in her inquiry to Keenly. Would you be interested in chatting with me while I work and keeping me on task for a couple of hours, unquote? So you can have the non-judgmental ear of an experienced mom all for the one low price of $40 per hour. Woo. Not a lot of money. <laughs> that just shows you how much your mom's worth. That's right. That's right. <coughs> I so. identify as a mom. <laughs> <laughs> you and mine making 80 grand a year? <laughs> right? So how is it that our incre- increasingly connected society, right, through social media, through um, our phones, through FaceTime, through YouTube, through all of this stuff, that we're supposed to keep us connected, right, through Twitter, through whatever, Instagram, we often feel so disconnected, right, from our personal community of support and encouragement to the point that we want to pay somebody $40 an hour to feel like we're being heard. Our connectedness isn't making us more connected at all. In fact, our connectedness can make us feel downright isolated. And we know there's a whole generation of kids and young people that are feeling that way right now. 
The more time we spend connected on our devices, the less time we are spending developing meaningful and supportive relationships, even with our own parents and families. So the question becomes, where can we go to develop the fulfilling, supportive, personal relationships we all long for and need? We can start in a community of believers, the church. There is a reason why the church is so often referred to as the, quote, family of God. There we have access to countless brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers who are all too ready to befriend and mentor. Put down your devices, put your money back in your wallet, and head back to church. <laughs> I love what Hebrews 10.25 says, and, or Hebrews 10.25, which we talked about, it says, let us not neglect our meeting together. But I also love what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 says. So now you Gentiles, that's us, right? Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners or aliens. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So when we're all gathered here together as family, we know he's here and his spirit is present. Because Jesus tore that curtain away, we can now go to him and say, Abba, we're all here together as a family. And we know you hear us. And so, it's beautiful. So that's our B this, this week is be family. Uh, be the kind of family that everybody wishes they had. Um, do that for each other. That doesn't mean perfect. That's right. I want to clarify right. that. That's right. And there, there are going to be issues, right? There's going to be conflict. It's going to happen. Um, but the important thing is, is that we listen to how God uh, uh, clears conflict. Instead of worrying about um, how we're going to be right and the other person is going to be wrong, how do we come together and learn how to uh, exist and compromise and love each other? because it's different, it would be different here than it is in some other places that people go. And that would give them a reason to want to come and be a part of and find out why God helps, uh, or how God helps us to be that kind of family. So be family. And that's, that's what we're hoping that we're creating here. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you'd like to support our mission, you can go to www.thejarministries.net and look for the Give button in the top right. Your sponsorship allows us to continue ministering to the least of us in our great city of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you so much. I am filled to be